We are so lucky. Sometimes I feel deeply alone and the circumstances don't matter. Often it's a trick of the mind rather than the reality of the situation. And I'm sure you know this feeling. I'm sure it's universal. Great literature and art creatively depict over and over again our experience of separation. Actually, the book or movie or play or even song doesn't need to be great. It's part of our human condition to feel set apart, misunderstood, different. You know, in the middle of a party, surrounded by laughter, good food, drink, rich stories, that sensation of being alone can just sneak up and pounce unannounced. In a public crowd, the same disconnect happens. In the middle of the night, when all is dark, quiet, loneliness makes its visit. We know how punishing this feeling is because we increasingly use it to put prisoners in solitary confinement. The coded language in the prison systems is segregated or restrictive housing. Here in our country, at any given time, 80 to 100,000 prisoners, a small city, are kept in small cells deprived of human interaction for days, weeks, even years. Far from being a last resort measure reserved for the worst of the worst, solitary confinement has become a control strategy of first resort in many prisons and jails. And think about ICE, what we're doing with ICE. I consider it inhumane torture. And when the feeling of being cut off strikes any of us walking around in relative freedom and not in prison, it feels like torment. But this morning, we are surrounded by, well, (laughs) some pretty funny pumpkins. But we're surrounded by beloved ancestors, human and creaturely, And these images and offerings are one visual testament to the fact that we are not alone. The same turn of mind that dismisses all our connections to the world in a crowd or late at night can also be its antidote. Changing the mental channel from the story that you are alone, nobody cares, I'm different than anybody else, to the truer story the truer story that you always exist within deep and wide connections from the past through the present into the future is the antidote to the delusion that you are an island unto yourself. Our religious tradition teaches we are all part of that interdependent web of life, of existence, And this understanding that we're connected across the ages to all of history, all of humanity, and to all of the physical world is one of our fundamental beliefs. It's one of our core beliefs. 
And we're expansive in this central belief. When I mistakenly think the interdependent web of life applies only to fellow human beings, I recall a scene from my favorite documentary, Rivers and Tides. It's a film that's a portrait of the wonderful Andy Goldsworthy. He's an artist whose specialty is making ephemeral sculptures made from elements of nature. And he works frequently within the streams and the rocks and the plants of his Scottish countryside. So in the scene I vividly remember, he is digging his hand deep into the side of a creek and pulling out this handful of red mud. And he ponders this unremarkable glop as a precious material with potential for creating art. And the slimy clay looks remarkably like the ubiquitous red earth we have here in Oklahoma. And he's talking about our connection to the earth as he begins dripping the clay into the clear running water, watching drops of color in the water. The image begins to resemble a crime scene as the seeming drops of blood color the water. The mud is as bright as blood, and the water begins to run red. And he makes the point that the iron in that Scottish mud is the same iron that runs in our veins. It is the same iron in our Oklahoma red dirt. It is the same iron that makes each of us bleed red. The notion that we're all made of stardust makes the same point. We are all made of iron, born out of the consequences of the reactions from the Big Bang. Same iron. But that iron is only one of hundreds of connections we have with each of these pictures and mementos before us, the connections we have to our ancestors and inert, inert things. So we take the time today to honor our family members and friends who've died, our pets, because the remembrances are a comfort. We vibrate the connecting lines, reinvigorating them to bring them alive, because their lives still play out in our own. Not all of their influences are welcomed. Not every ancestor is wonderful and loving. We all have complicated, messy, hurtful family members and friends. And we ourselves may be that unsettled, troubling parent or child in this family system. But this honest assessment of reality is what we're called to witness today and to put to use in this remarkable coming together of holidays and celebrations, remembering the dead, honoring the changing season, the traditions of today's Halloween, the lessons of the Mexican and Latinx Dia de los Muertos, the teachings of the Gaelic 
Sawen or Savin, and the wisdom of the Christian All Souls Day are all related sign points, posts pointing us in the same direction to honor the dead. It is not surprising these holidays all fall within a few days of each other. They are co-opted from each other. The most ancient is Savin, marking the end of summer and harvest. For the Celts, the night before the new year meant the boundaries between the world of the living and the dead are blurred. The veil thinned. Harvest is over, and you have to take careful count of provisions needed to survive the winter. But by 43 uh, Common Era, the Roman Empire had conquered the Celtic territory. And you know what they do, what conquerors do. They took that holiday and made it their own. They took their October festival of Feralia, which marked the passing of the dead. And so in 609 Common Era, Pope Gregory III changed that Celtic-Roman holiday to one where you had to also pray for the dead, All Souls Day. So while arising out of specific cultures and geographic locations, these related holidays all share a profound understanding of death. They honor that death is a gateway into the new. Those left behind after death must grapple with the realities of the loss and make sense of what remains. These holidays disrupt any amnesia we might indulge in of forgetting our roots, our DNA, our family stories, our traditions, our indebtedness to all who've gone before. When we imagine that we are fully self-made or spring out of nowhere, we have bought into that same lie that says we're alone. Our American myth of a self-made man or self-made woman is false. So last year we held this commemoration for the first time at Hope Church and we were aiming to recreate a, a, a Dia de los Muertos altar or ofrenda. But this year we expand our cultural understanding to include this worldwide heritage of honoring the dead. Over time, I trust Hope Church will evolve its own traditions. We may not be Mexican or Latinx enough to authentically offer an ofrenda and its days-long ritual. Same with Savin and All Souls Day. We have other days at Hope where we consider the dead. We honor our past members in a memorial tree in May on Memorial Day. And that's an essential reminder of the founding and continuation of this this vital community. But I propose we embrace this autumn time of year to honor all who have died and gone before us. 
we join those ancient holidays and the ancients, except we define our commemoration broadly to include friends, to include beloved animals. And in expanding definitions of our ancestors, in embracing our connections like the iron in our blood, we continue making the celebration fit our generous commitment to a global inclusion. We face our fears and apprehensions of the facts of death and even its possibilities as an agent, agent of change. You know, in, in much of modern life, the fact of death is hidden away. I thought of asking how many here have seen a dead body. In most institutions, death is really an unspoken secret fact of life. I don't know about you, but every time I visit a hospital or go to a doctor, thoughts about my own mortality become paramount. And since a hospital is all about saving people, extending life, whether that's appropriate or not, discussing death honestly and compassionately becomes virtually impossible. This taboo distorts our healthcare priorities and system. So church is one of the few places where we can frankly discuss death and learn about it, and we aren't being morbid. Not at all. We're being upfront about our mortality makes life richer and sweeter. We honor life's preciousness. We demand just systems for all because life is short. Sharing a common end informs our hospitality to all comers. Our Unitarian and Universalist religious traditions value rational truth. We invest no time to imagined certainties about what will or will not come after we die. So we devote our energies to this life and the lives around us. The Buddhist tradition teaches that each day, each moment really, can be preparation for death. Again, this isn't a gloomy outlook. In fact, I find it astonishingly practical. It means that within each moment is a birth and a death. Start paying attention to all of the small deaths you have in your life, all of the endings. For example, each day includes a birth and a death, an end and a beginning. So how you close out your day affects the next one. Consider, consider whether saying goodbye is uncomfortable to you. Are you someone who can't say goodbye on the phone? See ya, later. Or nothing or can't say goodbye after a visit what is your pattern of quitting a job quitting a relationship quitting a leadership position moving those are all deaths 
I'm aware of my reluctance to let go of every piece of paper on my desk until it becomes mountains in my office to all the sentimental clutter I have in my house. And lurking in that, oh God, I'm clutching to it, is my, my reluctance to throw stuff away is some kind of fear, fear of ending, fear of change, fear of loss, fear of mistakes, fear of simply missing out. The sources of fear are endless, but it's these same fears, if unexamined, they're going to show up inevitably and do as I near my own increasing decline and my own death. But I get this opportunity to look at it if I think about it that way. Our collective unwillingness to face death and face loss, change, it warps our institutions, our parenting, our work, our play, everything. So we're going to start today bringing forward the memory of all who've died and are important to us. We get to tell each other stories of these important life-giving ancestors because there is a beauty in death. And next month, we will explore hospitality to loss, to change, to death for each of the Sundays to come. Because our mutual mortality is our wake-up call. to live the best we can in each moment and treat each other the best we can. This is the beauty in endings. It can lead to compassion and wisdom. We are not alone. May it be so.